Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, I am joined by John Halloran. How's it going, John? I'm doing well. So I'll start with the same question. Well, we also just start with this. We just mostly have NWSL games to talk about this week. Um, not a lot of movement in terms of international stuff. We did get the confirmation from the IOC that the full 22 player roster will be official Olympians. Um, same information that we knew before, which is that 22 players will have 18 available on game day. It seems like from this week's announcement, they're not going to split hairs on who makes game day rosters, but I guess we'll also just find that out at the end of the tournament. Um, but let's just talk NWSL. We got five NWSL games to talk through. John, Give the vibe of the weekend. What do you think that the energy was this weekend? I think for the games that I watched, the energy was these are exciting games, but they are, for the most part, not good soccer games. Big, a- <laughs> yeah, big Olympic period energy, I think, from from these games. Um, a little bit sloppy, but none of them, none of them were at least, I would say that none of them were like horrifically boring or anything like that. It just right. wasn't necessarily super clinical so let's start with the first game of the weekend orlando hosted louisville this game ended 1-1 with goals from ebony salmon and sydney larue this game was i found this game to be interesting in that both teams are missing something right both teams have some pretty obvious gaps in different portions of the field for Orlando. They probably have a little bit more of like an excuse for that. Right. You can talk about, they really were missing Phoebe McLernan, those injuries on the back line, or maybe just one thing too many for them missing Marta missing Alex Morgan. Um, And then Louisville. Well, Louisville played pretty well, right? They, they looked like they might actually steal a win out of this. And then they had a a complete defensive collapse at the very, very end of the game. Um, but let's just start. Let's start with the goal scorers here, John. When Ebony Salmon was was signed by Louisville, I know for me, my thought was, I know that this player is good. I worry that she's not going to get service on this team, and we've seen some of that sometimes. But she also has the ability to kind of take what she can get, and three goals in I think what four appearances now is pretty impressive for a player first time that in the league for an expansion side, right? I think we could say too, the goal itself was one of the better quality goals that you'll see. And and certainly of this, this past week, you know, it might end up being the goal of the week. She, she, first of all, CC Kaiser played in a perfect ball, Mm -hmm. but, but Salmon manages to not only take the ball down, uh, but then body off Allie Krieger and then finish the chance. And so, you know, she's got three different things to do uh, to, to make that count. And she did all three and she did all three well. So it was definitely a great goal. I think what you're saying about them being an expansion side and the lack of service is definitely something that uh, is a valid point too. And, you know, they've, they've, they've made some, <clears throat> they've made some moves here after they settled their original roster. And we know that uh, they do have some additional additional help coming in um you know we've we've got uh, Nadim coming in as well at some point and uh, so it, it does seem like they're they're taking some steps towards filling in some of those gaps in their roster but as you mentioned too yeah this does still feel like a side that's that's missing a piece or two but the thought that I had after they did you know they dropped they dropped a couple points here but the fact that they are disappointed by a, mm-hmm. a draw 
yep. is a, we just keep saying this. It's a really great place for them to be um, that it wasn't like, a, oh, but we're proud of, of what we did and we're just happy that we're competing. No, like they wanted to win this game and they were disappointed that they didn't. And to be almost we're we're slowly nearing the halfway point of the season. Some teams have played 10 games. Some have played nine. I think Gotham, for whatever reason, has only played eight. And then um, but but their expectations for themselves are, are that they're going to compete. And we'll talk about this a little bit more as we go through these games. Still a very tight table. At this moment, Louisville has no reason not to say, yeah, we're in contention for playoffs, right? We should, we should probably talk about the mentality of both of these sides. Yeah. Because this is, in, in, both, in both respects, there's, there's something to be noted on, a positive, uh, on the positive side of things. Because as you mentioned, I think a lot of us, number one, expected racing to struggle. Um, but then even early on when they weren't struggling, a lot of us thought, well, let's see what happens when the, the feel good, where the expansion side energy, you know, starts to wane and we're close to mid season and it doesn't seem like that's happening. And I think we have to give credit to Chrissy Holly and his staff. I think we have to give a lot of credit to the players. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, just on, uh, you know, from my point of view, I think seeing players like Savannah McCaskill, become a leader there uh, has been really big for them, but their mentality has been terrific. And I think, and I noted uh, on the Orlando side, this uh, right after the game, them as well, because this is a team in 2019 that would have one moment that went against them. And then you'd see just an utter and total collapse and they battled right to the very end. And I don't think, I don't think you'd look at LaRue's goal and say, you know, wow, that was really well worked because racing's defense really botched it on that, on that play. There were like what, five, five defenders that just let the ball go completely straight through them. Right. I think it, and it bounced twice in the box. Um, So certainly not a good moment from them and one they'll want back, but the fact that Orlando was pushing, 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 pushing all the way to the end really says a lot about that change in mentality on their side as well. And that's, it's nice to see because you don't, you don't want to see teams in that, in that position where even if maybe they're not a great side where they fall apart or they give up or it's hopeless. We've seen that we, you know, not only 2018 Orlando um, 2018 sky blue was kind of like that, where you just saw, you just saw players kind of bereft of hope and and it's not fun to watch. And so it's nice to see these teams be competitive. Um, Like I said, mid season here and everybody is battling. And as you mentioned too, the table is just so tight right now. Yeah. Agreed on Orlando. I think that you look at this performance and I was found it to be quite interesting because like you said, um, it really seemed like it was sheer force of will that got them a point out of this one because they did kind of struggle. They looked a little bit thin and, and we we've mentioned this, you know, they're losing the, the Olympic absences, right. And then Allie Riley will also be leaving. Sheila's going to leave after this game. Um, but just also then the injuries that they picked up. And so those kinds of things combined, I don't know if Allie Krieger was at 100%, you know, she had that very noticeable moment where she got bodied off the ball by Ebony salmon. Um, they have the ability when they have their full starting 11, I think to compete with just about everybody, but it's also significant that in a game where they were actually kind of struggling to compete, they still got this result. And you do have to specifically shout out Sydney LaRue who has clearly taken on a leadership role of 
I want to elevate the people around me. And I, you know, soccer is a difficult sport to get a result from one player, but it almost really kind of felt that way, especially with the way that Orlando's midfield was struggling. We talk about that again, service. So they were struggling with service. And so it's rare to have a player successfully just kind of grab a game and say, no, I'm not going to, we're not going down like this. And I was very impressed by that by Orlando while also acknowledging that they look like a beatable team right now. Yeah, um, for sure. I think but, um, she actually mentioned how tired she was. Yeah, after right. the game. <laughs> she um, did not quit. But uh, the other thing I thought Presley was better mm-hmm. um, than, than she was a week ago. She was still subbed off. So I don't know if that's her still getting 90 minutes fit. Or if maybe, um, you know, the coach disagreed that, that she was having a better game than a week, uh, week earlier. And I thought Erica Timrak did a nice job, too. Yeah. Um, maybe not over the course of 90 minutes, but I thought maybe on four different occasions, she had really nice moments combining in the attack for them. She was kind of drifting in from that left side of position. And so I think she's one that could really take this Olympic break as an opportunity to work her way uh, into the side a little bit. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, so the the attacking story for Orlando was definitely that they were struggling to get dangerous looks on goal. They were getting shots, but none of them were particularly particularly close until that one final moment at the very end. Um, yeah, really good game. Like you said, uh, similar to the rest of the the weekend, very fun. Um, some big big defensive breakdowns, which will continue on uh, to the next game of the weekend, which was Washington hosting North Carolina at Audi Field. Um, this one, I think probably if you're looking for significant results of the weekend, this might be the one where you say, okay, this is a big win for the winning side and a reminder to the losing side that they still have some stuff to work on. So Washington did beat North Carolina two to nothing on a Ashley hatch brace. Um, again, for the courage, I don't know how much of this is just missing one too many pieces. Yep. It just, they were struggling in the midfield. I mean, this is going to be a theme. They were struggling in the midfield. Uh, and Washington has just a few more people there. You know, they have Andy Sullivan there. They have Aubrey Bledsoe there. They have um, that that Sam Staub, Paige Nielsen core in their back line. And so they're able to execute on the game plan that they've been starting from the beginning of the regular season, rather than it feeling like they kind of have to start over because of this particular period. Um, Washington had spoken about sometimes wanting to push Andy Sullivan up and we've seen her play make from a very deep lying position, but that second goal that Washington scored is like the blueprint for Andy Sullivan pushing forward into like that eight role, right? Well, you know, the, the one thing tactically that I think is really fascinating about Washington, because I've kind of harped on this going back to 2019 when the courage were just kind of running over everybody. And I thought, why isn't anybody trying to do something different? And I think what we're starting to see in Washington, and I don't think this is necessarily in response to the courage because it's not 2019 anymore, but um, Washington is starting to take that next step tactically and try different things. We've seen Sanchez playing in that false nine role. There's a ton of interchange. It, it's actually fun to watch uh, Washington, I think, from a tactical point of view, because it's really hard to even tell what their setup is while you watch them, because there's so much interchange. You see Sullivan and Houston, um, 
and I think it was Bailey in that midfield doing all the interchanges where you couldn't tell who was playing the six. And then you see Sanchez dropping back and that makes it even more confusing for opposing defenses to try to pick up open players. You know, initially I thought Houston was playing right mid and I thought, and then I see her all the way on the left side and then she's in the middle and then she's deep and then she's pushing up and looks like the 10. And so if you're the courage, you got to be pulling your hair out, trying to figure out, you know, who's going to pick up these extra runners. And so Sullivan, as you mentioned on that play, I think just kind of fed into that. There was that space there to run into. Um, and as Sanchez comes back, there's opportunities for those overlaps. And I just think it creates such a really interesting uh, set of interchanges and overloads. And I think it's a, a little bit ironic that we saw so much of this against the courage because the courage used to be the team that you couldn't handle the overload because their, their four, two, two, two setup made it so difficult uh, to find the, the correct matchups and stop them. And now you're starting to see the, this with Washington. You've got Rodman and Hatch playing in these positions that are so wide and so high that it makes it almost impossible to defend against. And especially a team like the Courage, which essentially relies on their outside backs for their width, that basically pinned Matthias uh, and Pickett back. And it's just such a fascinating tactical matchup to watch. And I really was impressed just watching Washington really dominate the game. Like there was, and I don't mean this to be rude, there was almost really no point in trying to watch what North Carolina was doing because Washington was just on the ball and controlling uh, right. so much of the game. It also then makes sense to me in the context of last week, um, Chicago getting the win over Washington, <clears throat> where when you would see North Carolina in 2018 and 2019, you saw teams get whatever success they got from them by just sitting in a low block, just sitting mm -hmm. in a really low block and staying very uh, organized and cohesive defensively and then just sort of taking your chances on the counter. And what you would see is you would see teams struggle when they say, quote unquote, came to play. Right. And so that doesn't shock me that Washington, despite not playing poorly last week, could not get that result against Chicago, but against a little bit in this moment, a leakier North Carolina team that was still setting up trying to do their game plan that they were able to, to look that cohesive and basically dominate that game. Um, yeah, I know you said not a lot of point in talking about North Carolina, but you do just kind of have to acknowledge that, I don't know, you take Sam Mewis and Davinia yeah. out of a midfield and they already, <laughs> you know, longer have Crystal Dunn and it's just, they can't execute quite the way they, they need to right now. Yeah, you know, it, so if we just take even Dunn and Dahl Kemper out of the discussion, those are two right. of the best players in the world at their respective positions. And it looked for a while like they might get Dahl Kemper back. And now that, that obviously is not going to happen, or at least until after the Olympics. But even if you take them out of the equation, you're still missing Dabinia. You're still missing Williams. You're still missing Mewis. So you're missing, you know, basically your two best players in the midfield and your attacking punch or your biggest attacking punch. And nobody, nobody can be the same or even close to the same without that. You're taking five of the biggest pieces, half of the team that made them what they were in, in 2018, 2019. Uh, they just don't, they just don't have enough right now. Uh, and you know, you get to the end of the season, you get to being your back, you get Williams back, you get Mewis back. I think they're right they're right up there with the best teams in the league, but they're really going to suffer 
there are some teams that are missing a player or two through the Olympic break, and it's not going to make that big of a difference. Uh, that is just not true in North Carolina. It, it's it's, right. it's white and black. It's night and day. The difference. Yeah. No, I remember, and it is, it speaks to Paul Riley rightfully gets uh, a lot of praise for his system and creating this roster of players who are so good at doing a very particular thing. But in the context of 2018, 2019, even 2017, what it helps to have a lot of the best players <laughs> yeah. in the world. It just does. Yeah. And so, yes, praise the system, praise the mentality. Sometimes you just need the players, though. And I think that's where North Carolina is at. And that's actually where we saw North Carolina um, have some trouble in the middle of 2019 when they were pulling out of that World Cup break. They had a couple dropped results there as well. So, um, so no reason for them to be worried about the rest of their season, but this could be a little bit of a rough, say, three to four game period for them. Um, any thoughts? I don't know if you have any thoughts about this. There were reports coming out that um, Tom Sermani was disappointed that yeah. North Carolina and Orlando did not release their international, their New Zealand internationals for this weekend. Um, Kansas City did release Katie Bowen. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about this, John, other than it. I, I am. This is me kind of interpreting this on my own, but it seems like maybe the players wanted to play in this this weekend. They wanted to play for their club teams. Yeah, I would trust what what Neil Morris uh, yeah. said out of out of North Carolina because he's about as close to that team as as anybody uh, you know from the outside. And he just said nobody's telling Abby Ursig what to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would just uh, I would take it at that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, we're gonna see we are going to see New Zealand struggle in the Olympics. They have a number of players who are very important to their club teams and who have given the New Zealand international team a lot of their time and energy. And yeah, if they made the call that they wanted to play in these games, I 100% understand that. So that was the Friday and Saturday games of this NWSL weekend. We're going to take a little bit of a break and we will be back with Sunday's games. All right. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, I am joined by John Halloran. I'm going to say the thing I say at the top of part two every single week. Go ahead and rate and review the podcast, guys. Give us a five-star review. Say something nice. It helps people find us. And especially as we go into this Olympic period, we're trying to reach as many people as possible. So go ahead. Give us a five-star rating and review. So... Let's just talk about Sunday's games. I mean, we have little tiny pieces of news maybe integrated in here, but it was mostly just all about the action. So on Sunday afternoon, it was the early game. It was early where it was played and even kind of early here. Uh, Portland hosted Gotham in kind of a hilariously stereotypical peak performance between the two these two teams. This one ended nil-nil because... Gotham's last ditch defending once again was remarkable and Portland's ability somehow not to score on a million good opportunities uh, meant that there were no goals in this one. Despite the fact that if you watched it, if you had watched the highlight clip, you would say, well, surely Portland won three to nothing and they just forgot to put all the goals in. Right? No. Uh <laughs> This is one where I don't know. I think that um, I think that Portland is working their way back into some of that route one sort of figuring out how to get through this period with the players that they have um, who haven't seen a ton of time in the last couple of weeks just because they did have their starters. Um, 
I don't know, John, any thoughts on this? This one is, I don't know how much I have to say about it because it follows trends that we've already identified. So I don't know other than just like, how cool is it that Gotham, like one of the cool things about sky blue, the original sky blue was that they were one of the teams. They are one of the teams in this league that can go into Providence park and get a result. And they are not afraid of the Portland thorns. And I just thought it was kind of cool that that legacy continued this weekend. No, it's impressive because that, you know, we've, we've both been there. We've both been there for big games. Uh, we've both been there for regular season games. It's an, it's a intimidating environment uh, to go into. Um, the one thing I'll say, this is the, the larger thought that I had this, this weekend watching the games. And you had mentioned it earlier when you had said something about, you know, okay, we're, we're in the Olympic period now. I honestly thought that we were kind of past this as a league, that, that we would hit this period where, okay, all the big stars are gone. Um, and now it's just going to be grinded out kickball. I really think, I do believe that the quality of the league is past that. But for some reason, the games did very quickly seem to devolve into a much grittier, less technical um, do you style. Think, do you think it's possible that comes from the coaching rather than just the players themselves, whether you might have a coach that changes their messaging on their own perception of, of what they're losing, you know? Maybe. I, I honestly, I think it's the players kind of looking around the locker room and wondering who's going to step up that because they're, because those, those big international stars, whether that's, you know, U S or Brazilian or, or whatever, I think because those players are just such natural leaders in their locker rooms that when those players are gone, everyone is kind of looking around wondering, you know, where's that energy, where's that, that, uh, that vocal leadership going to come from. But uh, cause they look, the games I watched this weekend, I watched three out of the five, I missed the other two on Sunday because I was driving to SeatGeek and driving home from SeatGeek, but um, they, they just weren't really pretty. Washington, I think, was the lone exception. But other than that, um, the five out of the six teams I saw did not really play particularly good, good soccer. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. And I would say maybe I was being a little bit too kind to Portland there as well. You maybe have higher expectations for a team like that, considering what they did through the Challenge Cup, that no, you shouldn't have those players walk back in and be a little bit unable to execute because it was just about being really clinical in front of goal. There were a lot of nice things that they did, but um, the final result was not there. And then that's where you start to wonder, okay, is this becoming part of this certain team's personality? Uh, So I think that they have some stuff to work through there. I think we're still waiting. We're still waiting for the thorns just to run away with this season. And it's just not quite happening yet. Um, The one other thought I do want to mention about this game is that I, we had joked actually while we were in this break about some, there was some rough goalkeeping this weekend, yeah. not in this one though, Bella Bixby and DD Heritage, oh, man, if you are a team in California and you are putting together your wish list, those have to be two names on your list, right? Bixby would definitely be one. I mean, even, even from the challenge cup last year, you saw her potential and almost kind of how it left, Portland stuck with three, three potential starting goalkeepers for, for a period there, uh, which obviously changed um, in the off season. And honestly, that was the, that was the keeper. I thought that, uh, that racing would have, would have gone after in the off season, but um, yeah, it's nice. And, you know, we, we talked about this during the break too, but 
uh, Cassie Miller in Chicago right. is another one who I think it just has that, that composure you look at and you just say, she's going to be a starting goalkeeper in this league at some point. It's just a matter of, are there enough teams? And that that's kind of always been a thing with this league. There's always been maybe 11 or 12 starting goalkeepers for eight or nine teams. And so, you know, that obviously expanded by one uh, this year and, and will expand again uh, by a couple more next year. Yep. And then, yeah, talking about Gotham's defense, we keep waiting. <clears throat> we keep waiting for it to collapse and it just doesn't. And I think you also have to commend them for you have to be so mentally engaged to play like that. It looks exhausting, to be completely honest, to make that your defensive identity, but it is working for them. Um, we saw Estelle Johnson had a couple real key blocks. Uh, again, Heritage had a very good game. Good result for them. They're still kind of finding their way, though. So Gotham is one to watch, I think, because we are still figuring out whether they are like top four contender or if they're really just sort of that middle five, six, seven, seven sort of a team. Okay, so moving on to two teams you could say a similar thing about. Chicago hosted Houston uh, on Sunday afternoon. Chicago won this game 2-1 to one despite, despite not recording a single shot on goal. Three goals by Houston Dash players, one in the net that they wanted to put it in by Veronica Latsko, and then two own goals, one by Shea Groom and a late one by Katie Naughton. Came in kind of a flurry, those own goals did. It was just a really <laughs> horrifying five to seven minutes for the Houston dash. Um, I don't know, John, you were there at this one. Do you watch the Chicago team and think they can keep doing this? Oh, I absolutely think they can. I mean, this is, this is it, right? This is the game plan. So we, you know, having watched this team since, since all the way, all the way back, um, there, there obviously have been periods where they've been blessed to have a Kristen press or a Sam Kerr. But absent those two players, this is who they've always been. Um, and so, no, none of this, none of this surprises me. I've watched many a game uh, going all the way back to those very ugly games at, in Lyle, where this is exactly what they look like. Yep. Uh, it's, it's pretty funny. I, I, I laughed watching this game sometimes. Um, so we have a couple, there are a couple larger things to talk about here. Um, I don't know how much we want to get into this because it does get kind of repetitive, but this was another big capital R refereeing sort of a game. Mm-hmm. Um, both sides, I think actually were pretty yep. upset by the time this, this game was over Chicago had um, from the, you know, the screenshots that we saw seemed like a pretty legitimate call for a handball. I don't know how that's not a handball. Um, it was a it hit hit. Uh, uh, sorry. Megan oysters hand in the box the arm was extended away from her. It changed the path of the ball. None of it was intentional, but it's a stone cold penalty. And then John, you saw, and maybe it was hard for us to see on the stream, but that first Shea groom own goal, she feels pretty strongly like she was fouled there. Yeah. And it, it, we should mention too, the D Bernardo penalty shout That's right, maybe in yeah. the, the third minute of the game, which looked uh, so here's one thing, just to kind of a qualifying factor, the press box at SeatGeek is on the exact same side as the camera. And because we're not being given multiple camera views, what I saw from the press box was exactly what the viewer at home would have seen. So right. um, maybe there is some mitigating evidence on the DiBernardo one from the opposite view that wasn't visible, but that looked like a stone cold uh, penalty shout. Then you mentioned the Oyster one. The one thing I would add with the Oyster call is that 
I, I always find the the ball to hand, hand to ball, the, you know, the ball gets served and goes right up into a defender's hand. It's kind of a harsh call. But if you watch that one slowly, it does look like Oyster turns her torso maybe, a, you know, a quarter of the way to kind of maybe even purposefully put her hand right in, in the way of that. So I do think that that one was. But then we get to the, the Shea Groom own goal. When I watched it in real time, it just looked like, okay, she, you know, whatever, there was some bumping and she fell down or she was trying to clear it and knocked it in. But one of the things that apparently wasn't on the stream was that Groom went to the ref and was very upset after this ball went in. And it was clear that she felt she had been fouled. And seeing that and going back and watching the replay, if you watch how Groom's body snaps down right as the ball comes in, it does appear that she didn't fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does appear that, and I think it was Kayla Sharples who was directly behind her, that Sharples maybe had pulled her down uh, on that play. It was just such a, if you walk through the chronology of that game, it was very entertaining, but it was almost comically bad Right. in that you go from the DiBernardo no call to the Oyster handball no call to the Sharples mistouch which results in the Latsko goal to the groom own goal and maybe a no call and a foul there to the Naughton own goal. Which those that f- one, yeah, that <laughs> Naughton own goal. Key moments of that game. Right. And they're yeah. all either mistakes by the players or the referee. Um, it, it was like a circus yeah. in, in the mistakes. Yeah. Um, I would say we got one bright spot out of this though. And this is the same bright spot that we saw last week. How cool is it that Jasmine Spencer has been able yep. to come into this dash team and make an immediate impact in two games? Cause that let goal, right. There was a mistake from Kayla Sharples and it was, you know, well finished by let but that whole buildup was all Jasmine Spencer. Yep, It was, it was a good run through the middle. And, and uh, you know, she was trying, she was definitely trying to pick let out on that ball. So it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like the Sharples misplay redirected significantly the path of the ball. Um, yeah, it was a very nice run. And, and as you said, Latsko finished it very well. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't take away anything. I will say that um, I thought other than that, Kayla Sharples had a really nice game in the mm-hmm. back, cleaned up a lot of messes. And on the opposite side, um, you know, obviously you're not going to give player of the game to somebody who scores an own goal. But I thought Katie Naughton was probably Houston's best player yeah. other than that, that significant mistake. Yeah, no, I think that it is it is significant that we talk about right Chicago playing the way that they kind of always have and getting down sort of to the essence of who they always have been. Kayla Sharples is probably like your gold standard example of that. You know, Mm -hmm. she is, she's a local kid. She is someone who has been with the team for a number of years and has been developing into a league level player. She comes with a certain amount of commitment uh, defensively and just physically. And I Mm -hmm. think that she's setting a tone. And I think that that is, it's not shocking that we're seeing a little bit more, assertiveness from the red stars defensively since she's been been in there because she's a very different style of player than some of the other players that they have when they have their full starting 11 she's also really vocal which surprised me a little bit just being there in person to see that you have this player who um is one of the least experienced players on the field for them and doing all the organizing yeah 
in the back. And, uh, you, you know, you mentioned the physical side and I can't remember the exact quote. I think she gave to you years ago, but when she was a rookie blow them up, she's like, (laughs) yeah, to blow them up. Yeah. 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 No, Chicago. I mean, we, we should, we should get off of Chicago because we could talk about this for a long time. But, um, the one other question I actually have for you about Houston, and I'm asking you this as a person who was there, because I don't really know the answer and I'm just curious, and this is just me sort of a thing. So, I was curious when, after this last weekend, when Sophie Schmidt was leaving the team to go join Canada for the Olympics, what did you think of Gabby Seiler? She's a player that I thought always played pretty well for Portland and she moved to Houston and she hasn't played a ton. And I was just curious, how did, how did Gabby Seiler do in that midfield? I just think that Houston's midfield did not seem um, particularly good at, at combining the way that they needed to. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's not to take anything away from, from Chicago and what they were doing, but, um, as much as you're going to miss a player like Christy Mewis, mm-hmm. um, or, or as you mentioned, uh, with Schmidt, I think that I really would have expected, um, the players that, that Houston has to, to put together uh, a better effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think that's interesting to watch as they are figuring their depth out clearly. So, um, yeah, good one for Chicago. Very weird game. All right. So last game of the weekend, also kind of a weird one. And one, I'm going to let you speak on this, John. We're going to go back to last week's news because I think that I'm just interested to hear your thoughts. So OL Rain, we're in the post Ben Steedy era, mm-hmm. right? Very quick, sudden dismissal of Ben Steedy. He did, he did technically resign. Um, you were the first person to report that he was not with the team in, in Houston last week. Um, can you just talk a little bit about sort of what you heard going into that, how it was announced and just your thoughts on Ben Steedy's quick end with, with uh, yeah. Pauline. Cause it, it doesn't appear that it was something that happened at the beginning of the week. It does appear that it happened later in the week based on um, based on Ben Steedy's availability through the week. Um, now I, I did hear that he was fired, but that was not something I could verify, um, which is why um, I only reported that he wasn't with the team. Yeah. And then of course, when the official announcement came out, it did say resign. So, you know, look, you could probably do a, he said, she said on that because sometimes resigning is a, is a nice way of right. being let go. <laughs> You're offered the opportunity to resign. That might've been what happened. Right. <laughs> um, I will say that this, this latest hire from, from OL rain has kind of been botched from the beginning. Um, you know, they've, they've been very lucky. They were very lucky. They had Laura Harvey. Then they went to Vladko Andonovsky. Um, but this last hiring process, you know, um, we know that they were very close to hiring, uh, Mark Sampson, which mm-hmm. probably would have been uh, a disastrous PR move if yes. nothing else. Right. Then they hire Fareed. And immediately those, those comments from Lindsay Horan resurfaced and uh, did not seem to reflect very positively on him or maybe the organization's uh, depth of research into their candidates. Sure. And uh, so I think this is a chance for them to hit the reset button. It's an odd time for this to happen because you're, you're already coming off a pandemic year where you got whatever it was, eight games in. Right. And now you have come into this season, which is another weird year because you, you have your team, then you lose your team for the Olympics and then you have your team. And OL rain has been so active in the international transfer market. 
that you have all of these players coming in. Yeah. And so Sam Leite is in such a difficult position. I, I suppose it's always nice to be the person who comes in after the last guy left or got fired because you get this kind of honeymoon period right. where the players are kind of ready to, to hit reset. But he has all this talent, an insane amount of talent yeah. that he's got to figure out. How do I get them on the field? How do I keep everybody happy? How do I get them gelling? Meanwhile, half the team's not there, but then they're going to come back in a month. This is going to be a really chaotic uh, period for them. He has an opportunity to be an absolute hero right. coming out of this if he manages to pull this off. But uh, this is, boy, is this a high tension uh, environment that he's he's stepping into. Agreed. Which is why I think this result was actually, there were a lot of big positives for all right mm-hmm. out of this one. They get a 2-0 win over Kansas City. It's a Bethany Balser brace. She scores two goals. Um that actually maybe is the place to start. I think that I've always believed that the way OL Rain was going to make this work is if they still trusted their good young league players. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the dangers of bringing in a lot of talent from overseas is it's really easy to start overlooking the players who already know how to succeed in this league and who have been growing. And Balser is a very good example of that. And so you don't want Ziara King and, and Balser, you don't want those players to get buried um, in favor of players who are not quite as quick on the draw just yet. Uh, so I think that that is a huge positive for OL Reign. I think when Bethany, when Bethany Balser plays well, that team is really hard to beat. It's like one weapon too many. Um, however, that first Bethany Balser goal, did you see that, John? Did you watch the highlights? I, I saw the replays, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Really rough stuff from Kansas City. And actually both goals really were defensively just in complete breakdowns. The first one was a very slow pass from the goalkeeper that she picks off one touches right into the goal. Very great opportunistic moment from her, but just what are they doing back there? Um, So we started the show talking about mentality and belief from teams like Orlando and teams like Louisville. Is Kansas City in danger of falling into the we can't win a game mental hole right now? I mean, I think they might already be there. Be there, yeah. Because if if it's not an exact jump from Utah, but this team was having mentality issues in the late summer and fall of 2019. And so there is something within this group that just doesn't have that belief. And I think it did seem like early in the challenge cup that maybe things were going in a positive direction, but obviously then they have a coaching change and things kind of, kind of continue to fall apart from there. And then they go to Kansas city and it's been, it's been loss after loss. You also, this is a difficult thing to talk about without more information. However, they are a team that moved very quickly. They got their facilities in order very, very quickly they are dealing with a lot of in, a lot of injuries, a lot of like muscle muscle injuries. I mean, or you have a freak accident where Taylor Leach breaks her foot, but that's just bad luck. But I, you, it's a mix of things. It seems like they're having trouble getting everybody healthy, and then the team that they do have on the field is really struggling to execute in a way that is effective. Um, it's it's tough. It's tough because we are talking about how close the table is and how competitive this league season is so far. And like you were saying, the idea of the quality of the league rising and how we shouldn't have teams 
that struggled this much because just the talent pool shouldn't allow it. Uh, so if you are the manager of Kansas city at this moment, do you, what is your higher priority? Maybe at this moment, is it player evaluation and getting ready to sort of shake things up? Or are you like, we have to, we have to start really gunning for like a particular game that we think that we can win. It's a good question. Um, Cause I think, I think they're on their fifth head coach technically yeah, in a right. year and a half. Um, so I, I, I don't think they can turn it around without bringing in some players. Yeah. I just don't, I just don't see how this group is currently constructed uh, can, can be competitive, even, even in a league that's built on the idea, at least of parity. Um, they, they don't have enough out there to make it work. And a lot of that goes back to the end of 2019 where they lost something like 12 players uh, between retirements and trades and, and just didn't bring enough players in to replace that. And you, you really, I think are starting to see that where there's just not enough quality from top to bottom on that team. I, I don't know because look, any coach will tell you that once the mentality has gone, I, I'm not sure there's a way to bring it back. Right. Um, it, certainly not in a short period of time. Yeah. And they're about to head into the, you know, the depths of the summer here. Um, really about in the worst possible position that they could be in. I, I have no idea how they're going to turn that around. Yeah. I would say the one thing I will say is this, and this is actually a conversation I've been having with just, you know, for, for fun recently. Well, not fun because it's a serious topic, but there are a lot of players in the NWSL who have really struggled mentally because of situations outside of their control when you have a bad coaching regime or when you have a, a poorly run organization like Utah, or, you know, I think we were just, I was just thinking about, you know, players, there are a lot of players in the league right now from that 2018 Washington spirit team mm-hmm. that are playing so well and look so good. Some of them still even on the spirit, but you look at Quinn up at OL rain or the players who are down in North Carolina now, or even I, there, Mallory Pugh is doing well in Chicago. There are players, but it takes time to, you have to get into a new situation. You have to start not only believing in yourself again, but being in a system that works. And it seems to me that when you have a team that is struggling this much, whether you are talking about like a Washington spirit situation or a sky blue situation, or, and I'm not blaming Kansas city for this. I think they inherited this from Utah. You might start have to move people for their own sake as well, get them into a new situation because this one isn't working. And it seems like the change of scenery has not been enough to sort of wash away struggles of the Utah situation. Well, and that's the thing too, is there was, there already in the last year has been that opportunity to hit reset with this right. move. And it does seem at least from the outside that, that, that Kansas city's new owners have tried to do a, quite a bit yeah. to, to change that mentality. And, um, and you have not seen the results reflected on the field. So I do think that, you know, look, we we've seen teams that have been broken for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. Yeah, you mentioned right. the, the 2018 Washington spirit. We could talk about where, where sky blue was just a couple of years ago, even Houston. Yeah. There was a point where Houston yeah. was a broken team. Yeah. There was a point where Orlando a, a year ago yeah. would have been considered a broken team. So you've seen at least half of the teams in the league manage to turn that around in a relatively short period of time. But 
Um, I don't think that's going to happen unless they start to make some changes. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, we hope for better for him. <laughs> Someday we'll be talking about a Kansas City win, but it just wasn't this weekend. So like we said, this may be a final thought, final NWSL thought. I am continuously surprised how muddy everything has been this year in terms of who is who are the good teams who are the pretty good teams it seems like like I said about Portland you have some teams that you feel like they're on the brink of really setting themselves up to separate themselves from the pack but we haven't seen it yet I don't know John for you we're about halfway through you can say this either in a positive way or a negative way Are there any teams that have surprised you? Well, actually, two questions. Question number one. Is there a team that surprised you actually with their inability to separate themselves from the rest of the pack? I would say no. I mean, I I realize what you were saying earlier about Portland, where we just kind of expected them to run away. But that's also a team that's based really heavily on on some of their international players. Right. And so there's always that weird adjustment when they leave. And then there's the adjustment when they come back. And there was even the adjustment in the middle of the challenge cup because all the players missed the first couple games and had to come back in. And I think kind of the narrative right now is that Crystal Dunn hasn't found, found her, her place, you know, in their midfield. And so, um, you know, you could maybe say Portland, um, but no, other than that, I think, uh, I think in, in that respect, there haven't been any surprises. Yeah. Are there any teams at this point that you're surprised that they're still kind of hanging around in this playoff conversation? I mean, you have to give credit to Orlando and yeah. where they're at. Nobody would have said that they would be number two at this point in the season. And I, and as we already mentioned earlier today, I think you have to give racing a lot of credit because yeah. their mentality has been fantastic. And the fact that look, they're in eighth place, which isn't great, but they're five points away from first. Yeah. Right. Which is also how insane the league is right now. Yeah, totally. No, I think this is very fun. It's very in a way, uh, American in some types of ways as well, where <laughs> you're going to have a shield winner, right? We're going to have a shield winner. It might actually come down to the last final weeks, but I think that this, and I'm, and I, and this is maybe an argument for these extra playoff games. I think the NWSL playoffs are going to rip this year because any single team that walks into that postseason is going to have a shot at the whole thing. And there's just what it's going to be fascinating to see who can win multiple games in a row because teams are struggling to do that this year. I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited for when we get down the home stretch here. You 100% could have the team which finishes sixth yes. win the championship. Oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right, very good. Well, any final thoughts, John, or is that? That's good. That's all good. All right, very good. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. Thank you, John. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy, and we will be back with more NWSL action next week.